Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Straight ahead on the Insiders, the Vilsacks and Bidens together again. Both Tom and Christy Vilsack have gone public They want Joe Biden to be the next president. But why endorse when there are so many other Democrats campaigning across our state? And what do these endorsements mean? Iowa's former governor is here, and so is the former vice president. Plus, let's talk Turkey. President Trump's trade war with China has kept going and going, but one thing has changed with China, and it's about turkeys. A leader in Iowa's turkey industry joins us on what a recent decision by China means for Iowa producers and what she thinks of this push by some who say Iowans should quit eating meat in order to save the planet. And in the Insider's Quick Six, why some Iowa reporters hope that their bosses care that their passports are valid when February 3rd arrives. From your local election headquarters, this is The Insiders with Dave Price. Welcome to The Insiders. So how did your Thanksgiving go? Did you avoid talking politics with your relatives, especially that one relative? Or did you just embrace talking politics this year? Obviously, plenty to chew on for sure. One of those items was this. Iowa's former first couple, arguably one of the most well-known couples in the state, endorsing former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign for president. Christy and Tom Vilsack endorsed Biden's first run for president back in 1988. Since then, Tom Vilsack served two terms as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, while Biden served as Barack Obama's two-term vice president. Now, you'll recall, as the VP once said, with a hot microphone listening, He was describing the President's Affordable Care Act as a BFD, a big uh, freaking deal. I asked the former vice president if the Vilsack's endorsement of him for 2020 would also qualify as a BFD. Some would say this multiple endorsement would be a BFD. Uh, Yes, uh, I think it is a very important deal. (laughs) VFD. Why? Well, because it's the, the most, probably the most respected couple in the state and for maybe forever. Uh, and uh, I, I've gotten, we've been friends for a long, long time. And, uh, and I, it just brings an incredible degree of credibility and, uh, uh, to the effort here, and it means a lot. Now, the Vilsacks have known the Bidens for more than three decades, but let's zero in on those eight years where Tom Vilsack served in the Obama administration with Vice President Biden. I asked Vilsack for an example of something that he saw while Biden was VP that he believes now makes Biden the best person to become the next president. The economy of this country was at the edge. And it could have gone, it could have gone any way. It, it could have gone into a depression or it could have gone into recovery. The person that President Obama turned to to make sure that it went into recovery was Joe Biden. 
he, he said, here is the resource to rebuild the economy. You take care of it. I've got other things I've got to deal with. You make sure the departments are doing what they can to get the resources out. You make sure that we do it in a way that doesn't waste money, that doesn't create bad headlines about uh, fraud or, or, or uh, projects that weren't ready. Uh, and this was an extraordinary effort on his part, an extraordinary effort to, to harness the power of the federal government, to direct it in a single focused effort to put significant resources to work, rebuilding the infrastructure, rebuilding communities, providing hope. And the result was the longest uh, economic growth uh, period we've ever had in our country. So <laughs> he, he knows how to run the government. And that's really important. Here's the deal. The president didn't tell me he was going to put me in charge of this program. I'd written a long memo to him saying that what I thought we should do. And he used to love doing this at State of the Unions. He would never tell me. He turned and he said, and Sheriff Joe is going to, because we had to get a pass. We, we needed to get three Republican votes. This guy helped me. I was able to change three Republicans to vote for it. That's the only reason it got passed. And then when it did get passed, I also went to this guy because I needed people who understood not only rural America and in terms of agriculture, but had been governors, understood what was needed in cities and towns and the rest, and were great allies. And the great news is the president, as I said, gave me presidential authority. I was able to task the whole cabinet. I think the Department of Agriculture word I was tasking you too much, asking too much from you, but all kidding aside, it was a, it, it was a great endeavor, but I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without Tom. He did the same thing with the ACA. I mean, you don't get the votes unless you have people with relationships who can basically say, look, this is necessary, this is important for the country. People that have credibility. Uh, and you don't get that credibility just by showing up. You get that credibility by being the kind of person he's been for uh, an extended career in public service. And those relationships, they matter in Washington, D.C., and they also matter all over the world. Uh, so uh, when there was a crisis, uh, when there was an issue involving the rest of the world, the first call the president made was to this guy, and as it should be, because he had the relationships, he had the knowledge, service on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, he, he understood how the systems work, how the system works, he understands how the world works. So for me, in a situation where we have to win, where we have to govern and we have to put America back together again, there's only one guy who's best suited to do this from day one, and that's Joe Biden. But you mentioned the ACA, Mr. Vice President. If your nominee is a Medicare for all or bust, uh, does that mean Donald Trump gets reelected? Well, I'm not going to comment on that. I just think that uh, it's not the realistic way to go. You're talking about $35 trillion over 10 years. That's $3.5 trillion. That's more than we spend on the entire government of the United States for everything. I believe that, and if you notice, the supporters are now saying, no matter who they are, it's going to take somewhere between four and ten years to get it done. We have to move now. People need hope now. And we can provide a Medicare option available in Obamacare, as, we've, as I've changed it, so that if you can't afford, you can automatically be enrolled in Medicare in our plan. If you have a plan that you like, and by the way, the biggest thing that bothers me about Medicare for All there's 160 million people, maybe like you and others, who have negotiated a health care plan with their employer, given up salaries as it relates to being able to keep the plan you want, and now you're being told in Medicare for all, you have to walk out of that plan. People should be able to make that choice. And if they want Medicare, the Biden option provides for 
Medicare for those who want it. And you can have it now. If in fact you want to, you can either buy into it, if you're, if, you're, if you're eligible for Medicaid now, which your state is really messed up, not yours, you didn't mess up, your present governor, you automatically be enrolled. So we can cover everybody, we can do it right away. It costs a lot of money. It costs almost $800 billion over 10 years. But we can get that done, but it doesn't cost $35 trillion. And it will not raise taxes on middle class people. As you look at the voters in this state, you both are talking about the concept of electability. Does that provide the juice for what the activists, as we all know, those who show up at a caucus are a little different than the general election makeup, right? Even just on your party. So does stressing electability, does that give the activist that kind of excitement that it'll take to actually win here, that argument? This is a different election than any I've ever experienced because I think there is a genuine concern and fear for the country and our democracy with the current administration. So I think there will be a keen desire to win this election. And I think many voters, voters that are in the category of, I'll go to the caucus, but I'm not wouldn't be characterized as an activist. Or, I'm an independent, but you know, on this time, I'm gonna show up at the Democratic caucus because I wanna make sure we don't have to deal with four more years of, of Donald Trump. Those folks are going to be very, very convinced by the notion of electability. They're gonna look and they're gonna ask the question, not just who's winning nationally, but specifically, who's the best candidate to win in Pennsylvania? Well, I would suggest the guy from Scranton has a, has a leg up there. Who's the best guy to win in Michigan? Well, again, I think Vice President Biden in his Detroit experience can talk a lot about Michigan in a way that no other candidate in this race can talk about. Who's in the best position to talk about, to, to do well in Wisconsin and in Iowa? He was vice president during the best agricultural income in the history of the country. He's got a plan to create new revenue sources for farmers to help small and mid-sized farmers stay in business. He's got something he can talk about any place in Wisconsin, any place in Iowa. So I think electability is important. It's not the sole issue, but I think in this, in this election, it's going to be pretty important. If I could say one thing, you know, uh, let me put it this way. If I were elected and I'm able to do what I want to do on health care, on education, on climate change, on agriculture, on foreign policy, you guys would be writing it was the most progressive administration in American history. The question is not whether it's progressive. It's whether it's progressive and realistic. The fact that I provide for an education policy that is the most expansive one that's ever occurred in American history. The fact that we have a climate plan that has been embraced by the vast majority of experts. I mean, so I, I kind of reject the notion that, um, that you know, you have, to all, you, you have to go out and say, I'm going to spend $35 trillion and get, get you Medicare for all. I'm going to wipe out $1.7 trillion in student debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think, you know, that old expression, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I promise you, if we get elected and get past what I'm, we're talking about, it'll be viewed as the most progressive administration since, since Roosevelt. Okay, one other thing about electability. No disrespect to the past, but you've run twice before and it, yes. didn't, it didn't end the way you wanted. Why does this third run demonstrate that electability is a winning issue for you? Well, two reasons. One, the last two times that I ran, uh, it was, uh, there was a circumstance, I, I didn't, wasn't able to raise any money. Well, we've raised over 50 million bucks. We're, we're, we're in a position where we can compete, num number one now. And the second thing is that um, uh, I, uh, the, the good news is the bad news. Everybody thinks they know me. 
So it's hard to tell lies about me, and it's hard for me to deny the things that are all my, are my faults. And it's because of my relationship with the president, uh, President Obama. He gave me so much authority in foreign and domestic policy that people have watched me operate independently. And so uh, I think it, I just, it's, a, it's a different time. But most importantly, it's fundamentally different because, as Tom says, we've never had a president like this in mod all of modern history, I would argue, ever. And the world is at stake. It is not a joke. It is not a joke. I have foreign leaders calling me constantly. I have leaders of NATO asking me to come. Will I come and reassure them that if I get elected, if America still thinks Europe is important? I've got people calling me about the embrace of Putin, which is devastating Eastern and Central Europe. And, and so, I mean, there, there are, there's a real, genuine need and understanding on the part of the vast majority of the American people that you've, we've, we've got to be ready on day one to take on the responsibilities that we've shrugged and may lose if we don't move quickly. And this is a, an individual who went into the White House totally unprepared for the job, had no idea what the presidency was about. Um, and I think it's pretty clear over the last two and a half to three years that it's his belief that whatever he wants, he ought to get done. That's not the way the system works. That's the way democracy was set up. It requires relationships between the executive branch and the legislative branch working together, not in conflict, but working together to get things done, uh, to appeal to common cause. That's what this guy does. He, he does it better than anybody I know. He appeals to common cause because that's who he is. Uh, and so I think he offers a pretty nice contrast to the current administration. Biden turned 77 about two weeks ago, and because of his age, he's faced some criticism of uh, whether he's as sharp as he ever was. Up next, Secretary Vilsack talking in baseball terms whether a President Biden would still have his fastball. If you're in your 70s, you have plenty of company in this presidential race. President Donald Trump, 73. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, she's 70. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is the oldest, it's 78, and former Vice President Joe Biden, as we mentioned, is 77. I asked former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack, who's a big baseball fan, to put into baseball terms whether Biden is still at his sharpest. In other words, does he still have that fastball? One of the deepest concerns I have about the race is the ability of the other side to redefine an individual. And the beauty of Joe Biden is, as he said, he's, he's defined. Uh, people know who Joe Biden is. So $10 million worth of negative schmear campaign doesn't work because people know him. That gives me confidence that in a general election situation, we're not going to have to deal with people saying things about Joe Biden that the folks out there are going are to believe or think might be true. They know him. They know his middle class values. They know what he has done in his career of public service. So I tell you what, he knows how to locate his pitches. And at the end of the day, it's location, location, location. <laughs> <laughs> That's not awful good. Vice President liked that line. So location's key for Secretary Vilsack. The location of a recent decision is also important for Iowans when it comes to the turkey business. Up next, one of those leaders explains why a choice China recently made brings some big relief here and why in the U.S. we have things like a Chick-fil-A chain, but nothing like a turkey filet.
Benjamin and Franklin had a lot better weekend than many of their friends on this Thanksgiving weekend. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds pardoned both of these turkeys who came from the Storm Lake area. They get to enjoy a nice retirement at Living History Farms in Urbandale and not on someone's dinner table. Thanksgiving weekend seemed as good as any weekend to check in on Iowa's turkey industry. The Iowa Turkey Federation says the state raises about 12 million birds per year and supports about 38,000 jobs. I asked the Federation's executive director how the industry is faring these days. Well, Iowa's turkey industry is doing much better now. Um, the avian influenza in 2015 hit us pretty hard and obviously put the industry kind of back on its heels a little bit. But within a year, we had repopulated and, and got back into production, but our export markets did not open up. And so having China announced last week that we were opened for turkey imports is a really big deal for us because they were our second largest importer prior to the ban in 2015. So where were those birds going instead of China? Well, a lot of them were going into freezer space. Some of them were going into other markets. We're looking into Israel and other countries to possibly be exporting our turkey products into. And so, you know, of course, it you know, forces you to look at other options. Um, Mexico is our number one trading partner and Canada is number three. So um, obviously we have lots of opportunities to make sure our turkey products are here in the U.S. for us to enjoy. But those dark meat products that other countries enjoy, those products get exported and that helps really the whole bottom line of our turkey industry. For those of us who have never been part of international trade, can you explain how challenging it is when you have such a big consuming market like China temporarily say, we don't want any of these things. How do you go about finding other opportunities? You know, we have to work a lot with the international trade groups that are in the United States, like the U.S. Poultry and Egg Export Council. Um, obviously, our government agencies have helped a lot. Um, uh, you know, Lighthouser has been great at helping us. Um, Secretary Perdue has been great to help us as well. And having those dialogues, going to those countries and visiting with those customers. And in, so 2017, I got to go over with the governor with her trade mission and had great conversations with a lot of the customers that were wanting turkey. Um, the Pizza Hut in China, for example, was doing turkey thigh meat on a pizza. And so let's look at those great opportunities where those customers are wanting our products and have that opportunity to enjoy those great Iowa proteins. What do you make about in our country, I don't know how big this movement is yet, but when you have some saying eating meat is bad for the environment, right? And would we be better off by skipping meat altogether? How do you all look at that? You know, I look at that whole nutrient cycle. And if we're going to raise plants of any type, we need a renewable fertilizer. And what is better than a dry, organic fertilizer that comes from livestock like turkeys? Turkeys are raised in large barns with wood waste and oat holes in the bottom of that barn. So it's a dry product. It's spread on those fields to raise crops. And we have a lot of turkey farmers that are organic crop producers because they need that manure to raise the crops. And then we can harvest a healthy, lean protein. Um, the turkey industry does a great job of adding to that whole nutrient cycle in a very responsible and respectful way. Okay, let's go the other way. We have Chick-fil-A's out there. We don't have turkey fillets. I know. So, <laughs> so is there something to take turkey up another notch? You know, I think we're always looking for ways to do that. If you go to a Subway, if you go to a Jimmy John's, if you're enjoying Jimmy Dean turkey sausage products, those are Iowa products. And so the deli meat is where turkey has really been strong. And we continue to be strong because it's such a great 
sandwich meat. And so I think, yeah, we're always looking at for new ways that, you know, maybe it is on a pizza. The turkey pepperoni that is out there is a great pepperoni. Um, it's just getting consumers thinking more about turkey, not just at Thanksgiving. Up next, what we now know and what we are still waiting to learn from the Iowa Democratic Party about that new way Iowans, both near and far, could caucus in 2020. We now know some, but not yet all of those details from Iowa Democrats about the proposed satellite caucus locations on February 3rd, 2020. As a reminder, the Democratic National Committee demanded that Iowa Democrats make the caucuses more accessible for people who struggle for whatever reason to get to a designated caucus site at the designated time. The party says that it has received 173 applications from people to host their own caucus site in places other than those already approved sites within this state. This begins this week's Insider's Quick Six. One, applicants include people in 17 other states and Washington, D.C. That includes popular snowbird destinations like Arizona, Florida, and California, but it also includes cold winter places like Minnesota, Michigan, and New York. So this may not just be about making sure Iowans who head south for the winter can still caucus. The committee also has to decide whether Iowans who go to those other states for whatever reason could host their own caucuses too. We hadn't heard a lot of speculation about this before this list came out. Number two, New Zealand, Georgia, Scotland, Japan, France, and Mexico. People applied to host satellite caucuses from all of those countries. We'll see how the committee handles these long distance requests. Number three, time. Caucuses typically begin at seven o'clock at night, right? But people in these other states and other countries are in different time zones. So how will the committee handle that? Not to mention the people who say they have to work at seven o'clock and may want to host their own caucus at a different time. Number four, how many people are actually required to take part in one of these satellite caucuses? The party has not given us a magic number on this. Number five, December 16th, that's the date by which the party says this committee will meet and determine which applicants get to host a caucus. Remember, this is all uncharted territory here. A lot of pressure on the party to make sure this works as outside forces have been pushing to make pulling off a successful caucus in 2020 even more challenging. Finally, a prediction. How many reporters, after looking at this list of warm state and overseas caucus possible locations, are hoping that Santa brings a new passport for Christmas and also hoping the boss will let them then travel to see how one of these long distance caucuses will work on February the 3rd. A warm thought to think about. Thanks for joining us. Let's stay connected throughout the week.